Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, summer is winding down here. You know, we got, uh, it's a little bit cooler out there. A little, little bit, A little bit. And then the evenings, you know, just a yeah. little bit more crisp. and Getting uh, that time of year. It is. Football. It is. It's getting football time. You're right. And, uh, boy, big news this past week with the Pac-12 and the, what was it, the Big Ten that, yeah. that pulled out. Yeah. Um, said yeah. they're not going to play this fall. A lot of waves going on. And, uh, you know, the schedules are out for both the ACC and the SEC. And I'll, yep. I'll say that... The South Carolina, once again, has one of the toughest schedules in the nation. So we play at LSU, we play Georgia, we play Florida, and we're going to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. Wow! I'm, I'm wow! Just saying, you my think prediction. you are okay? Uh, yeah, but your schedule got so much easier when y'all when y'all drop Clemson. This is true. This yeah, is true. You, I have to admit, poor guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're gonna break that streak this year. Yeah, against you guys. it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. You know, yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I hope I hope the SEC and the ACC all pull this off and actually I do, too. do this. I do too. Looks like they're gonna have like twenty percent, you mm, know, capacity. capacity in um, at least Alabama announced that. I, I assume the other schools will I probably would probably follow suit. Be that, yeah. And then tailgating yeah. is a question mark. So it'll, it'll be interesting how it plays out. But we're only a few weeks away I know. from That's you know right. yeah. season starting. And so I, th- I think it's really going to happen. I yeah. mean, I'm hearing some positive job there. So that's pretty cool. And, you know, um, I mean, talk about positive stuff. We got we got some good topics to talk about here. We're going to start off here talking about diversification, though. Yeah. So, the, you know, we hear that word a lot. And uh, we're going to go into a very detailed um, definition of it. And there's some really interesting stats that we're going to talk about in here and and if you're listening make sure you're you're tuning into this and you pass this on to your fellow investor because there's some there's some truths in here that that the reason that we talk about the things we do about diversification and the Dave Ramsey's of the world is because of the data we're going to share with you. Yeah, there's a lot of good data in here, and it's kind of eye-opening data about why you want to diversify. So I really like that topic. And then we're going to follow that up with managing taxes in retirement. That's a good one. Um, it is, John. You know, there's some things you can do. There's some. There's just some overriding strategies you want to follow in retirement to make sure you don't get trapped in a higher tax bracket. Um, and you just want to take advantage of the low low years. So we're going to jump into that and tell you how to do that because that's very, very important. It affects a lot of people. Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey Certified Counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. You can uh, listen to the podcast. I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of the podcasts back in March. I mean, what a recovery the markets have had amazing. since that point. And certainly no one was predicting this, but uh, it's really good to have that historical information. So a lot of podcast information out there, also a lot of tools on the website. And then we also have a Facebook page, MoneyMD. We put a prescription of the week out there every single week. Yeah, and go on there, and you can link to us on MoneyMD. You can send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll talk about those here on the show. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. So, Steve, if you went to uh, Vegas and you had a two in three chance of winning, would would you bet? Absolutely, John. Four yeah. out of five, would you bet, 80% in I, your favor? I'd keep going, absolutely. Yeah, yeah just so- keep racking it up. You so know? that's that's what the market is. Historically, if you go back and look at the last 25 years, 
if you picked any single month at random, uh, you would have achieved a positive return 66% of the time. Yeah, I mean, those add, those odds add up in your they favor do. over time. You just want to keep playing that game. Yeah, and if you look out over a year, it goes up to 80%. So, yeah. you know, that's why people like us don't try to predict the markets because the odds are in your favor historically that the markets are going to go up going forward. So you don't have to predict the, the markets to be successful. And if it even gets better, if you have like a 10-year time horizon, yeah. then it's a remarkable yes. percentage, you know, positive. So. Yeah, I mean, that's a great fact. You really want to make sure that you put the odds in your favor, you're investing in equities, and you have a long time horizon. Um, you know, just forget about the volatility in, in months and years and, and look at look long term. Yeah. Know? And 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 just key to have a process in place when there is down years. There are gonna be down times and you just gotta make sure you have that process and you have a plan and it Absolutely. Absolutely. And a big part of being successful with that is diversification, right? And that leads us right up here to our first topic. Um, You know, nine things you should know about diversification. Yeah, this uh, comes from Paul Merriman. Uh, It's out of uh, uh, CBS Market Watch. And, you know, Steve, one of the most important ways investors can take care of their portfolios is diversifying their holdings. And if you're not exactly sure what diversification is, or how to make it work, you're in the right place. We're going to kind of go through that. And and so the, the first step here is just really defining what is diversification. And think about it, um, it's a concept of variety. So if you're an investor, diversification really is uh, the act of and the result of, you know, having uh, different things in your portfolio doing different things throughout time. So holding a variety of assets reduces the portfolio's overall level of risk. I mean, and you hear the old adage, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's what this means. So if you own a single stock, for example, you're, you're taking risks that the company could go belly up and lose everything. But if you own and diversify into a lot of different stocks, thousands of different stocks, there's almost no chance that you'll lose everything, right? Because you're so diversified. So that's the first thing is diversification is just holding a lot of different types of assets. Yeah, and another thing you need to know is that the stocks you choose are unlikely to beat the market. What? Yeah, I know. I mean, people always have an opinion about their stocks. Yep. You know, yep. they're different, right? They're going to beat the market. But unfortunately, academic research tells us otherwise. Yeah, I mean, the academics tell us that the theoretical expected return of one stock is the same as the average return of all the stocks in that asset class. And it's true that one stock can earn like 10 times as much as its peers. But on the other hand, any one stock can lose all of its value, you know, for a variety of reasons or most of its value. Mm -hmm. And that happens frequently for individual stocks. And by and large, I mean, investors believe that, you know, the stocks they own are worth much more than the average, you know, and that's why they own them, right? They pick one stock, they think it's undervalued and it's going to go up more than the overall market. But people who own stocks usually have much higher opinions of the company than the people who don't own the stock. And unfortunately, over time, the research has shown they don't beat the market. That's right. And and, and despite the enormous financial incentives for cracking the code of, hey, which stock is going to outperform, the best investors, managers, and researchers around the world for decades and decades, they have not found any reliable way to identify the long-term winners. I mean, you'll help hear people predicting what stocks are going to do well, but they have no idea. And uh, the, the data shows that they don't have an idea. So if, you, if the average return of all the stocks meets your needs, I mean, so when you do retirement plans um, and you have a you know expected rate of return, 
the smart money will own stocks by the hundreds or even thousands, generally through mutual funds. So mutual funds just give you a way to access thousands of different stocks. So that's that's what we do. That's what uh, you know Dave Ramsey and his organization preaches as well is is make sure that you're diversified. And uh, the the third thing to know about diversification is your chances of picking the winner are much much slimmer than you think. And this is really interesting, Steve. Here is a, a recent study addressed yeah. a question uh, that had uh, seemed like an obvious answer. And the question was, is do stocks outperform treasury bills? So treasury bills is a very conservative uh, return and it's very, very high. Like um, a CD at the bank. That's right. Yeah. Very, very, very uh, safe type type security. And the answer was a shock for a lot of people. Um, from a vast database of common stocks available since 1926, the study found that the majority, roughly four of every seven, had lifetime buy and hold returns less than one month T-bills. So that's shocking. It is. Most of the stocks don't even beat the T-bills. The and the researchers found that they could attribute almost the entire net gain in the stock market since 1926 to only 4% of individual stocks. Yeah, that, that is a shocking statistic. You know, I've never heard that one before. I've heard similar statistics yep. with shorter mm -hmm. periods of time. They're like 25 years that said, you know, it was, it was in a, you know, a handful of stocks, 19% or something like that. But not 4%. That 4%, just goes yeah. to show you one in 25 stocks yeah. is is going to make all the positive return. But the other 96, it, they say it d did match the gains of the T-bill. So it wasn't okay. necessarily negative, but right. that means roughly one of every 25 stocks was a long-term winner. So those are not good odds, right? No, that's not good at all. That's, that's remarkable. One in 25, you know, beat T-bills. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, wants to identify that one in 25, but the odds against that are, are overwhelming. I mean, you know, one in 25 is, is are terrible odds, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and that helps explain why so many stock portfolios deliver below average returns. Unless you're willing to bet your financial future on you or your manager that can pick that 4% of stocks that are going to be winners, you know, um, you better just own them all, you know, through yeah. an index fund or an asset class, yep. because otherwise, yeah, the, I mean, unless you're buying thousands of stocks, your chances are you're going to miss those one in 25 that make up the vast majority of the return. Absolutely. So another thing to know about diversification is you've got to diversify among asset classes. So, you know, even if you own a thousand different stocks, you're still exposed to the risk that um, all similar stocks will decline in a bear market, which is down 20%, which we just went through with the COVID uh, market. And this is called market risk. And you can mitigate that risk by diversifying among what we call asset classes. So yeah, as an example here, you can own small cap stocks as well as large cap, and you can own value stocks as well as growth stocks and international stocks as well as U.S. stocks maybe sprinkle some bonds in there as well. But, and so here's the, here's the reason why you want to do that. In the 2000 to 2002 bear market, when the S&P 500 index had a compound annual loss of over 14%, U.S. small value stocks had a positive compound return of 12.2%, completely opposite. Wow. And that was enough <laughs> to offset the, the loss in the S&P 500. So, in the 10-year period ending in, in 2009, this is another time period, the S&P 500 had a compound annual loss of 0.9% per year, 0.9, so almost, almost a percent. But small cap value stocks gained 12.4% compounded. So you know, in these two periods, international small value stocks did very well. 
U.S. real estate did well, and uh, any of these other asset classes would have improved the portfolio uh, if you only had the S&P 500. And Steve, we see a lot of people gravitating to large U.S. stocks because they, they have done well right, right. over the past five years. But boy, I tell you, history tells us it's very, very dangerous to consolidate and be very concentrated in, in a small number of um, asset classes like, like that one. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and on the other side of the coin, I mean, there are some people that think diversification kind of protects you from down markets. And, um, you know, that is not true. So that's one of the nine things here people need to understand about diversification is it won't protect you from a bear market. Um, you know, in 2008, virtually all asset classes in stocks were badly impacted. You know, in fact, this author's... Uh, his his ultimate buy and hold strategy, he said, you know, it lost a 41 percent. So he's saying that humbly, you know, in hindsight um, during the 2008, you know, crash. And the S&P 500 was down 37 percent. Um, but long term government bonds were up 25.9 percent that year. Um, so, you know, if you diversify into bonds as well as stocks, yes, that's going to help you in a down market. But stocks alone will not. So, you know, it's not a diversifying in stocks is not a strategy to lower your risk from a down market, but it's a strategy to make sure you get the good returns in a good market. Yeah. And when markets recover, that's when diversification really helps you because their diversification makes sure you don't you don't miss that recovery that typically happens after a bear market. And here's an interesting stat is 25%, if you go back in, you know, 90 plus years, 25% of the years are negative, right? right. We see that stat. However, the S&P 500 has averaged about 10%, even with 25% of the years being down. So That's right. it's kind of expected to have down markets, but um, diversification is still important. And I'll combine the next two items here. Um, you know, diversification is is relatively easy to get today. There are, there are target date funds, um, you know, and, and a lot of 401k plans that do a pretty good job of diversifying. They're, they're pretty light on small stocks and, and some other things. So if you're out there going alone at this and right. you don't have access to an advisor or some other tool out there, you know, putting your money in, in a target date fund. I know Dave's not a big fan of that. He wants you to understand the other 25 funds. But, you know, these retirement date funds, they, they're, they're reasonably diversified. And so they're, they've, you know, combined things together. That's kind of what we do with our portfolios. We have packages, you know, right. portfolios that are kind of risk tolerant and um, so forth. And then we get a great amount of diversification by owning different mutual funds. So, uh, but you can also diversify the, the time piece of this as well. That's an important piece. Yeah, that's right. You can diversify your time piece of when you invest by doing something called dollar cost averaging, you know, I mean, and although you can't control time, of course, you can use the calendar to periodically control the price you pay by adding money routinely to your portfolio. So if you're regularly adding money to your portfolio or if you have a substantial lump sum cash, you don't want to invest it all at the worst possible time, um, then you can do dollar cost averaging. And this means that it's just a technique that that says that you will spread it out in equal increments over time so that you're buying some of the, the, the portfolio whenever prices are up, some whenever it dips. Um, and over time, you're kind of averaging your money into the market. And that just protects you from, you know, buying at the wrong time. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's a good way to diversify. Yeah, you can also diversify your tax obligations. I know we're about to go into more detail on that, but you, know, you can't get rid of taxes, but smart diversification can help you manage them. And you can do this um, by paying attention to where you're investing in your IRAs and 401ks uh, because they have Roth options. And that's something that you want to take a look at. Are you Should you be contributing in Roth accounts or Roth 401ks today? paying that tax bill and you basically taken, um, you know, the tax liability off the table. So there's some ways, you know, and we, we are big believers in that. If you go into retirement with, with IRA money, with Roth money, and then with brokerage account money as well, you can diversify your, your tax base and help do some planning to help you lower your taxes. So it's a very big deal to, to diversify tax obligations as well. So, I don't know. It's a pretty good article. I like it. I like the statistics yeah. about the, the number of stocks. 4% of stocks have given all the return. So Yeah, most people don't realize that. No, you know, that's a you don't low own, number. If you don't get your share of the apples and, you know, the big returners out there, you know, the Amazons that have just skyrocketed here recently, um, then you're going to vastly underperform the market. And that's why you need to diversify. So. Great point, great article, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, so we hear this question on uh, on uh, Dave's podcast sometimes, but should I buy a new car instead of repairing my old car? And uh, it, it depends. I mean, obviously, the, the cheapest car you're likely going to own is the one that you're currently in. Right, so, absolutely. You know, unless there's a major rebuild that is needed... Um, you've got to have a good mechanic that um, that you you know can work with and help you make that decision on it. But keeping the older car doesn't have payments, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> so you and have to you write can... a check to the to the mechanic occasionally to keep it going. But it's going to be a lot probably. It's going to be a lower cost to do it. A that. lot lower cost than making a car payment. I mean, let's face it. You know, if you're making a five or six hundred dollar a month car payment, you can do a lot of repairs to your old car yeah. for that amount of money, right? Oh, no so doubt. and and more than you would ever need to do. So. You know, Dave Ramsey always recommends buying a good used car. We always recommend buying a good used car if you're trying to save money on cars. You know, I mean, if you're if you're there and you've saved, you know, and you you've, you're you're set for retirement. Yeah. Sure. You know, go enjoy it if that's what you want to do. Want to spend your money on, but recognize that that it's going to cost you more than if you buy a good used car that's already had that big depreciation up front, yep. you know, for several years, um, you know, because depreciation is your biggest expense with vehicles. Yeah, driving it off the lot, you're basically, you know, losing thousands of dollars. Yeah, you lose about 10% yep. when you drive it off the, the lot. Yep. Exactly, right. exactly. So, you know, now it's now a used car. So, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, buy a good used car is by far our our strongest recommendation there for saving money with driving so good question of the week that leads up here to our next topic and that is managing taxes in retirement um yeah this is a from a bottom line article on robert carlson very recently and john you know when people are in retirement i mean they're often shocked that their tax bite isn't as small as they expected you know they think they're going to pay less taxes and sure they're not paying social security they're not paying medicare you know, if they're not, if they don't have earned income, but, uh, but, you know, things do, it can still get away from you. I mean, after all, you know, they're, they're no longer earning full-time salaries, right? So, um, you know, their income taxes should go down, right? But in reality, you know, one in four retirees say that they have had to shell out several thousand dollars more in taxes each year than they had expected, um, according to a survey recently by Nationwide Retirement Institute. And the problem sometimes is retirees are kind of trapped by their lack of tax planning, and they find themselves with no flexibility um, to control their tax situation in retirement. 
And fortunately, there are some strategies, though, that can help, you know, but you need to start planning well before retirement. So here are a number of strategies, um, including those that kind of go against conventional wisdom that can help you dramatically reduce what you owe Oh, the government in retirement. Yeah. So the first one is, is just drawing from various accounts. So, you know, retirees who need to supplement the uh, social security uh, income or maybe pension, uh, there's generally three kind of accounts. We just mentioned, um, uh, you know, Roth uh, accounts, which you can withdraw for tax free. If you have a IRA or 401k account, pull money out of that, you will be taxed. And then there's the after-tax brokerage type of account as well. So uh, conventional wisdom says that in retirement, you should draw down your after-tax accounts first, followed by the tax-deferred IRA or 401k, um, and then accounts such as Roth IRAs that will not face any taxes or earnings on the withdrawals. That's conventional wisdom. Uh, there's, it not, depends on the tax bracket. Yeah, it's not necessarily true. That's right. Yeah. That's just kind of the you know what people fall into. Um, but then this strategy is kind of based on the assumption that your capital gains rate on on gains in, in your taxable accounts is going to be lower than your ordinary income tax rate, as it is for most people, um, on withdrawals from your tax-deferred accounts. So, so you know, folks tend to take their after-tax money first in retirement because it's tax-free, and so that's what they dip into, and we see that too. The problem is, I mean, that plan can backfire and can kind of force you into a higher tax bracket later. You know, for example, if you retire in your 60s, and you rely largely on withdrawals from your taxable accounts rather than your IRAs, your tax-deferred accounts, to pay living expenses, that means you're you're saving money early by remaining in a very low tax bracket and paying taxes at capital gains rates, which are sometimes zero, um, rather than the ordinary income tax rate of 12 or 22%. Um, but when you reach age 72, I mean, you no longer have that option, right? At that point, the IRS requires you to start taking RMDs starting at around 4% per year from your tax-deferred accounts, your IRAs and your 401ks, and whether you need the money or not. And, you know, by then, your tax-deferred accounts um, may have grown so large that that RMD uh, is going to push you into a much higher 22% tax bracket. So you need to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. So here are two ways to tap your, your various accounts that can help you lower your overall taxes in retirement. Yeah, and the first one is it goes against conventional wisdom, and that is reduce tax-deferred accounts early in retirement uh, in any year where your taxable income is low. And so for many new retirees, um, they find themselves with a big drop in taxable income in the first few years, and you know they've stopped getting a paycheck, but they haven't started receiving Social Security benefits yet or taking RMDs. So if you approach the end of the tax year and realize you're in a low-income tax bracket, you can take advantage of it by withdrawing just enough money from a traditional IRA or 401k to stay within uh, that tax bracket. And so if you're able to do 12% and, and pay 12% federal taxes, right. it's generally a pretty good deal. So uh, there's other ways to get income as well from from some brokerage accounts, but you know, this really has to do with the tax. Right? Yeah, that's right. And it's worth mentioning, you know, just kind of backing up and looking at the big picture. You know, the strategy that I like to see for retirees, John, is to manage their taxes in retirement so they stay right near the top of that 12% bracket. Yep. You know, and that's about 105000 gross income for a married couple for most in most situations. Um, so if they can manage their, t their tax situation right below that and not waste any of that 12% bracket, 
you know, that it will help them avoid jumping into the 22% bracket yeah. later on in retirement. Yeah, and it may be higher than 22. I mean, you never when, know when those provisions sunset, it'll go up to 25. Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. So that 12% bracket is a very attractive rate, you know, and if you're a married couple filing jointly, um, then, yeah, like I said, it's about 105000 gross income that puts you at the inside that 12% bracket and, and lower. Um but for every dollar above that, you know, it's 22%. So, you know, let's say you have $50,000 in income and you would have put, that would have put you in a 12% bracket. Consider taking, you know, another, you know, $50,000 out of your IRAs um, and, you know, and then make, and then keep yourself, well, if it's taxable income, it'd only be about $30,000 out of your IRAs mm-hmm. that would keep you in that 12% bracket. But that way you're drawing down your IRAs. You're, you're maxing out the 12% bracket, not wasting any of it so that later on that money's already after tax. And you don't have to go spend it, of course. You can just move it to an after-tax account or move it into a Roth, convert it to a Roth. That's a beautiful yeah. strategy. And we'll talk a little more about that in a little bit here. But um, that's a real good way to manage yourself in the 12% bracket. <clears throat> yeah, and like you said, one way if, you, if you're not spending the money coming out of the IRA is to do a Roth conversion. So that's just taking it out of the IRA or 401k, moving it to a Roth account. And um, so in the future, Roths are tax-free, so it doesn't matter what the you know the rates are. And then also, if you don't spend that money, your heirs can inherit the Roth and not pay any taxes on it, um, unlike the IRA or the 401k. So you know, doing some Roth conversions in retirement is, is popular as long as you can do it in that 12% bracket. That's very, very appealing. Very, yeah, very powerful strategy. And then Social Security, you know, also has some uh, things to pay attention to. I mean, if you fail to keep an eye on how much taxable income you have when you decide to start taking Social Security benefits, you could easily end up paying tax on the, the full 85% of your benefits. Um, about 40% of Social Security recipients do end up paying tax on 85% of it, um, which is the maximum amount. Um, and it's kind of a stealth tax because, you know, the higher your income rises, the more your Social Security benefits <clears throat> are subject to tax at that level. So if you have a low income in retirement, you know, then you're going to want to want to kind of keep it that way when you're drawing your Social Security by avoiding the two thresholds that tax that, that where the Social Security taxes kick in. And that is thirty-two thousand to forty-four thousand. Um, you're paying fifty percent of every dollar is taxable in that range, and then after forty-four thousand for a married couple, um, you're paying f- uh, up to tax on up to eighty-five percent of your Social Security. Yeah. So, you know, so if you can, and most people are over that limit. A lot of people are in retirement, but if you're able to slip under that limit. Um, and manage at that point, then that's going to save you some significant taxes as well. Yeah, and a way to 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 you know avoid some of that extra tax in your portfolio is make sure that you're not generating too much income. Uh, preferred stocks, dividend paying mutual funds are good, but there's some tax efficient mutual funds out there that you need to make sure that you're you're focused on to try to minimize that additional income, which will hurt you on the Social Security side. That's right, and you know another thing is accumulate you know substantial tax free money in the Roth before retirement. I mean, if you want to have the maximum flexibility, really control your tax situation in retirement, then you're going to need to load up Roth accounts early enough that they can grow into a substantial sum by retirement. Um, you know, also, if you have after-tax money in your 401k, then you're going to want to roll that over into a Roth immediately so that all that future growth will grow tax-free. If you leave it in your 401k 
when it grows, all the growth on the after-tax money is now pre-tax money, and it gets added to your 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 IRA pre-tax money instead of the after-tax. So roll it out immediately if you have after-tax money in there. Get it into a Roth. That means all the future growth is going to be tax-free forever. Um, and avoid two distributions in the same tax year. You know, if your your RMD has to be taken by April 1st of the year after you turn 72, um, you know, but however, it, it makes sense to go ahead and take that by December 31st of the year you turn 72, not not the next year, because then you're going to have to take two distributions in the same year if you delay that first one when you turn 72. So take your first one before the December 31st of that first year. Yep. You turn 72. So those are just a few of the strategies to help you kind of manage your taxes, Lower taxes. in retirement. Stick it um, to Uncle Sam. That's right. You don't want to give them anything that they don't deserve. <laughs> so there you go. And that leads up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this is um, to to determine your why you're saving. Um, uh, and that is instead of focusing on what you're saving for and focus – Instead, on why you're saving, are you saving to to spend additional time with family, or maybe it's for ministry opportunities and giving or travel? And I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a, a, a discussion with a client, and they are going to okay. sell their home. They're in a really great neighborhood, but the prices have um, skyrocketed, and so they're going to bank, you know, the increase in their home cost. They're going to downsize, pay cash, and have no mortgage, and save up then for a a lot and a house on a, on a lake. So they're, they're some short-term sacrifice, but they're kind of focused on the why. Why are they doing this? Because it's going to set them up long-term. So when you're saving for things, it's not you're just saving for retirement. There are reasons behind that. What do you what do you want to do in retirement? Do you want to you know travel or golf right. or whatever? So the why piece of it's very important. Yeah, focus on the end result, and that that's a lot bigger motivator than focusing on the process, right? Yes, so. yes, <clears throat> yeah, for most All people, right. yep. Good deal. Good prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can uh, link to us there, send us your questions, um, or you can call us at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Gang Associates, a registered investment advisor.